The gospel lesson today comes from the book of Matthew, and it comes from a section of Matthew that is known as the Great Commission. This is a section where Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples and sending them out into the world. He is empowering them as his representatives, and he's also asking them some tough things about redefining their relationship to each other and to the world. We had a Bible study this week at Westminster Canterbury, and we wrestled with how radical Jesus' words can sometimes seem to us when we have a certain vision of ourselves and how we relate to people. But Jesus is taking all that we know about ourselves and mixing it all all up and saying, remember who I am. Remember who God is. And so he is sending the disciples forth, knowing that they are also going to encounter some tough times. He is honest with them in this passage. And he also knows this particularly because his cousin, John the Baptizer, is currently in prison, not quite sure what his next days will bring. So Jesus is empowering and and warning in truth about what the disciples are going forth into. So let us listen to these following words from Matthew 10, verses 40 through 42. And let us listen for the word of the Lord in our midst. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, None of these will lose their reward. This is the word of the Lord. It was March 2006, and we were a dozen earnest, eager college students, a group of Presbyterians traveling from East Carolina University and Duke University down to Guatemala for a week of learning and travel with some service projects mixed in. We were ready, ready to take on any challenge headfirst, ready to confront any problem with prayer, community, and a can-do spirit. We spent several days learning about the organizations and life throughout Guatemala City. We visited city dumps and local nonprofit schools. We even visited Subdepca, an impressive organization which this church sponsors. Then we traveled to the mountains, ready to meet villagers and hear their stories, We are joined in this by two young adult volunteers, which is a position that the Presbyterian Church sponsors in different countries around the world. Our volunteers did much of the translation and navigation around this unknown land. They helped us know what we were seeing when we went through the cities and careened down the streets, and also when we went up 45-degree angle hills in the open back of a pickup truck. They translated the words of local villagers when we heard how Hurricane Stan had recently torn apart their homes. Unlike Katrina that had come through with a force through our, our neighborhoods, Hurricane Stan had sat on top of the mountains pouring eight, uh, for eight days, just pouring rain down and washing away walls and roofs and roadways. So we listened. We absorbed the stories and the beautiful countryside. And after a few days of this, of sitting and listening, we were eager for the next step. 
We wanted to jump into action, work up a sweat, and get our hands dirty. We wanted to do something about what we had seen. So one afternoon, as we headed into a village, the plan was to help the the locals clear some of their fields. A few of us were given a machete and given instructions about which stalks to cut down. They sent us out. We could feel our pent-up energy about to be released in some good, tough work throughout the whole afternoon. One person swung his machete. And I don't know the exact timing, but in my memory, after seeing us swing that machete once, it took the villagers less time to get us out of that field than it took to finish a second swing. It was clear we had no idea what we were doing. And we were about to do more harm than good. Educated and eager as we were, we were useless in these fields. So the villagers sat us in a one-room building, and we spent the rest of the afternoon talking, talking in a three-way translation process, hearing more about these, the locals' lives. The village leader translated from Quiche, a local dialect, to Spanish. Our young adult volunteer translated from Spanish to English, and then it would go back again for three hours. We had traveled forth, ready to live into the gospel, not just with words, but with actions. We had journeyed to meet people, offer our strength and energy, and engage in the work of the land. And we got sat down and told, yeah, why don't you sit over here for the time being and listen, and stay away from sharp objects? (laughs) Who was helping whom? This is an important and tough question, and one we must face every time we venture forth determined to do good. Short-term stints into unfamiliar terrain can highlight the way we expect things to unfold and then the way they actually do, and the vast difference between both processes. We can arrive at a place with expectations and hope. We want to be useful and productive. And as college students, we had come with a desire to learn, but also with a desire to work. We wanted to do good. But the villagers determined that the best we could do was stay far away from their crops and their livelihood. So instead, we sat and we listened. We often receive the gospel and then get ready to head out into the world, primed and prepared to live out the good news, determined that we will tackle any obstacle with our energy, fortitude, intelligence, perseverance. Our reward will be only the good feelings we have afterwards. And when our society is telling us, pull up your bootstraps, put your mind to it, and you can do anything, and the church is telling us to be good disciples, and our eyes are telling us wherever we look that there are struggling human beings, well then, naturally, we decide, come hell or high water, sometimes quite literally, we will give those little ones a cup of cold water, as this text in Matthew says. However, Sometimes we forget to ask, who are these little ones of which Christ is speaking? I wonder if you have ever been thirsty. Not simply for a swig from the water fountain, but deeply and profoundly thirsty. I wonder if your whole heart was shriveled, your entire spirit a barren wasteland, where feelings of joy and worth were unable to take root 
in the cracked earth of your daily life. I wonder if your mind has ever spun in its place, frenetically churning with heat and noise, spitting out voices of judgment and shame, pain and grief, without any sip of cool, refreshing relief in sight. I wonder if you have ever been lost, not simply searching for a physical structure, but endlessly, relentlessly lost and seeking a shelter, a welcome, a space that will let you lay down your grudges, your expectations, your perfectionism, a space that will welcome you home from your wandering and let you rest your blistered soul. I wonder if you have ever needed to ask for money to support something about which you feel passionately. I wonder if you have ever donated a piece of your body, your blood or bone marrow, either for a hospital or someone you love. I wonder if you've ever offered refuge someone who's fighting for something you believed was just and right. In all these places, I wonder if you felt like the giver or the receiver, the welcomed or the welcomer. It can be easy to focus on the questions of where we are in the lineup of God's good graces. And what do we do to offer something to whom? And what do we get in return? All these questions, this cause-and-effect relationship. It is easy to ask these questions in our daily living. And it is important to think about how we might best use our gifts to help those in need, to help these little ones whom Christ names. But sometimes we are so eager to leap into action that we forget to ask who are these little ones For when we ask this question, it is then that we can discover a truth that comes throughout the scriptures. These little ones are the disciples. These little ones are us. You can see this connection by looking elsewhere in the text. In Matthew 18, Jesus teaches his disciples and all who are listening the parable of the lost sheep, saying, Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones one of these lambs. He says, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. And he speaks about temptation and says, do not put a stumbling block before one of these little ones. We might not always want to hear that we are a little one. The disciples probably didn't want to hear this. In a world that values strength, power, and resources, these three words convey vulnerability subjectivity, and tenderness. We often receive the words of the gospel as a call to action, a joyful and true call. Yet sometimes we can be so primed to respond, so ready to swing a machete and clear a field and do a good deed, that we can forget that Jesus is not always sending cold water to those people over there. Jesus is sending people with cold water to us. The gospel is a call to action, but it is also a call to confession. And we confess that we cannot do all things on our own. Jesus, right now, is trying to change how we look at the world 
and how we look at ourselves. We are some of these little ones that need help with a basic sip of water. We are some of these little ones that Jesus does not want to stumble. We are some of these little ones that he loves, weeps over, and calls his own. As he says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. This passage is not about lining up good works into a relationship where you give X to Y person and then you get Z in return. This passage is about us understanding again, as if for the first time, that we are all bound up in a web of createdness. We are each creatures of our God, tender and vulnerable at times. Our needs affect one another. Others' needs affect us. And who knows? Our welcome to a stranger might be the very refreshment our own souls need in that moment. We receive in one instance and we give in the next. We knock on doors in despair today and then we open them wide in hope tomorrow. We drink our fill in one place and then traveling forth to a new phase of life, a new city, a new family, we find that we need to ask others even for a cup with which to drink. We are knit in God's creation as intertwined with each other as the luminous strands of a dew-laden web. We do not exist apart from God. We do not exist apart from God's creation. And even when we might rip a strand, stumble and fall, tearing at God's intention for our lives, the Holy Spirit is still at work, and we are being rewoven, reconnected, reconciled into a new creation. When we would prefer to believe that we are just fine on our own, generously giving to all but never needing anything in return, it is then that we might find particularly, potently, that we are being tugged or even knocked back into perspective. We cannot do everything on our own. Eight years ago, we, those eager United States college students with the most elite education in the world, still found ourselves in need of another lesson, a lesson about sitting still and listening for longer than we expected. Even we who come to church faithfully and deliberately still will probably cry out at some point with words that sound like the psalm we heard today, words of despair and frustration. Even we who have access to so much of the world's resources still will find ourselves in need of a cool drink to soothe our thirst. In this moment, in every moment, we are not left on our own. We are not left out of the lineup of rewards. Christ is showing us that we are ever and always being reworked into a tapestry of faithful discipleship where we are constantly give and receive, knock upon and open doors, offer and accept welcome. And what about that word reward? It's a pesky, seductive word that is hard to look past. After all, it is promised to us in the text. It is something that will never be lost, something that is due to a righteous person and a prophet. 
But we want to know, what will that reward be? What will it look like? If we are trying our best, which so many of us are, when will we get it? I do not know. I do not know what precisely Jesus meant. None of us can. But I do wonder. I wonder if our reward is perhaps the chance to understand that we are not ever fully on our own. I wonder if our reward is that we can set aside our expectations of self-sufficiency and embrace our reality of interweaving grace. I wonder if our reward is less about an achievement and more about a vision. Instead of getting something that lets us pat ourselves on the back while watching everyone else continue to struggle, we are rewarded with new eyes and a new purpose for living, for for participating meaningfully in this world. I wonder if our reward is about understanding that no matter who we are, we can give welcomes and waters and words of compassion and action, not just to family, not just to friends, but to all these little ones, every day, for the rest of our lives. And we can receive these things as well. I wonder if our reward is knowing that nothing, not our need, not our mess-ups, not our woe-begone attempts at doing good. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus speaks these words, showing us how to live into a world that is coming alive with the knowledge that God is doing a new thing in our midst even now. He speaks these words as if he knows something about God being with us. For indeed, Jesus is the one who has been a prophet, a righteous person, the one who has sent and welcomed, given and received, the one who even knows what it is to be a tender, vulnerable, crying little one. We cannot do this on our own. When we are thirsty, hungry, weary, grief-stricken, guilt-laden, and just plain over it, we must remember this truth. We are Christ's little ones. We are asked to join with others and with Christ in the actions of the kingdom, giving and receiving in each moment of our lives. So now, may we, in this place, at this time, and going forth, May we see the one who is reaching out with a cup of cold water to us. May we see and take and drink and at last forever be welcomed home. Let us pray. God of grace and abundance, God of tenderness and vulnerability, You are with us in our midst. Be with us as we go forth from this place and remind us that you are the one who sends and receives, who shelters and protects and welcomes us home. In your name we pray. Amen.